From Centered, welcome to the Take Root Podcast, where our purpose is to share testimonies that encourage you to deepen your roots of faith. Join host Karen Johnson to hear stories of those who have experienced God directing their own lives to a deeper, engaged faith. Well, hello, my friends. It's always a joy to get to share another of God's beautiful stories with you. And today I have the honor of introducing you to a new friend of mine, Amber Cantu. Amber is the sixth generation granddaughter of Chief Seattle and a mother of nations. She and her husband raised their five children in the Marysville Tualatin community where they taught them the heritage and culture of their people. And today, Amber and her husband are raising seven foster children and have an incredible vision and calling to care for these children and their families which I know you're going to love hearing about. So I could go on and on in this intro, but I think it's best just to get to her story. So welcome, Amber. How are you today? I am well. Thank you so much, Karen, for having me. I appreciate it. It's my honor. And I'm just so excited to um, for all of us to hear your story. So please just tell us about you, your upbringing, your family, your faith. Tell us about you. Okay. Well, I was born in Tacoma, Washington, Um, and shortly after I was born, my parents uh, moved back to where my mother um, was raised, which is the Grand Coulee Dam area, and and so I'm thankful they did, because when they moved there, that's when Mount St. Helens erupted. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) (laughs) no. Yeah, and so... um, but anyway, that was just that's just a fun little little uh, truth about what after I was born. And so, um, yeah, so they moved back in the Grand Coulee Dam area. And that is where I was raised pretty much um, for the first seven years of my life. However, my dad and my mom, um, they decided to separate when I was two years old. And so he came back to the great Northwest. And so I always have had, you know, um, my life in both worlds. Wow. So I was there in a very small town of Grand Coulee Dam. Um, and my family uh, lives all up and down um, Eastern Washington and the Colville reservation over there. And so I, was brought up in that, um, you know, small hometown feel. However, I would um, come up and visit my father in Tacoma, Washington, where um, he lived, which is, I would say, gosh, maybe three blocks away from the Tacoma Dome. So I always knew when uh, <laughs> we were approaching because I could smell the paper plant. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, I remember that. Yes, I could smell that. And so um, anyway, I knew we were getting close. And then I would see the Tacoma Dome and I was like, oh, we're almost there. So, um, but yeah, so I thought so. And then my father, he has always worked for Boeing. And so he moved quite a bit to whatever plant that he was currently working. And then he settled down in the Muckleteal, Everett and Marysville area where I came for a three year span lived with him, which would have been third, fourth, and fifth grade. And then I went back with my mother (laughs) into the, yep. uh, And I lived in um, a very small, smaller town outside of Grand Coulee Dam, which was Elmer City, Washington. And 
that has one little tiny shop. It's uh, like a convenience <laughs> store, no gas station or anything. And literally it takes about 30 seconds to drive through the town. <laughs> and that's not an exaggeration. <laughs> so oh you literally gosh. blink and you're through the town. And so, oh um, and then, um, and then my mom decided through a series of events uh, to move Yakima, Washington. And that's where I spent most of my teen years. Um, I did come back with my father in the ninth grade and tried, uh, tried to do, you know, um, life there. It's just when you're, when you're used to being in a small, small town mm -hmm. <laughs> in a very small mm -hmm. community, it is challenging to transition yeah. into, um, into, into a fast life, fast paced. Everything here was so fast paced for me. And so anyway, mm -hmm. it, it took a lot to really try to, um, cultivate relationships and friendships um, in such a, <laughs> a large community of people. And so I did find myself, um, going back in Yakima still, even though it's big, it's still a slower pace lifestyle. Everything mm -hmm. isn't, um, mm -hmm. no, uh, on the go, you know, people, mm -hmm. uh, it, in general, it's just a kind of a laid back, you know, sense. And so, and I couldn't figure it out when I was younger, like, what is the difference between Eastern Washington and the Northwest? You know, what is this oh, huge difference? Interesting. But as an adult, you know, as I've reflected, <clears throat> you know, back, I'm like, oh, that's what it is. There's just, there's a different pace. And, hmm. um, and so, yeah. And then the community too. I, I'm so thankful for the Tulalip community. Um, I just wanted to kind of throw that in there because, you know, being over here away from you know, my family and, you know, our culture and our heritage was very challenging for me. But the Tulalip people just welcomed me and my children in. And, you know, we've spent mm -hmm. 23 years cultivating a relationship and creating community and family with them. And it's just mm -hmm. been a beautiful experience. Um, and mm -hmm. so... I'm so thankful um, that they just welcomed us in and uh, made us a part of their community. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, tell, tell us a little bit about that. I know you have said your siblings and, of course, <clears throat> excuse me, generations before them had to go to board, the boarding schools that we're all familiar with that the government required and basically ripped children from their families to go attend these boarding schools. And. I I think there is still this generational pain and brokenness from that that you have experienced in your um, relationships within your family. It, can you tell us a little bit about that and what you see in terms of the loss? You're talking about this beautiful heritage and culture that has somewhat been as I understand it, lost, and you're trying to regain some of that. Can you describe that for us? Sure. Yes. Yeah. So <clears throat> I think the number one for me personally um, challenge that I've had with this generational trauma of the boarding schools is the separation of family. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, when you are, when you're in a school, it's just that it's a school. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's, is created to educate yes. and um, but it is not created to nurture 
And mm. so, and develop, um, you know, uh, there's, there is a sense of community. Yes. But that community at school is a lot different than your community at home. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the force of the boarding schools have created this chasm within, you know, families, because what it did was it separated that nurturing and that bond between mother and father and child causing generations of abandonment, of rejection, of, you know, this orphan spirit where people are running around feeling like they're orphans and they're not. They, they genuinely had mothers and fathers that wanted them. It was not their choice. Yeah. But then yeah. through the generations, what have happened was, is that, you know, when the child turned five is when children were put into these boarding schools to live there. And so, you know, throughout the generations, there has been this disconnect between when the child would turn five, you know, and then up, it's like all of a sudden, Oh, you're five, you're grown, you know, you're, you're for yourself now, so to speak. And, and this really is because, and it, you know, it's not something that's really known. It's just something Mm -hmm. that as we reflect on the past, you know, traumas and where did that disconnect, you know, continuously, you know, cycle through the generations. And it was really that it's that, you know, there's this trauma in our DNA that says, you know, at the age of five, there's going to be this trauma of not being allowed to parent your children. And that is when all of the bad things are going to happen. And whether it's known or unknown, wow. there hmm. are our memory cells remember these things. And so we're born into these traumas, these cycles yeah. of traumas. And so, you know, um, there's this, you know, scientifically, and it's just beautiful, um, some of the, you know, scientific research that's been done on mothers is that my grandmother, when she was forming my mother in her womb, every single egg that my mother um, was going to have in her body was already created by the time she was born. So that means that I, my, Hmm. you know, my, the egg that you know, came and germinated to create me was in my grandmother. And so all of that generational trauma Hmm. was then formed and fashioned, you see? And then, so that's kind of, and so, um, and then of course Hmm. we have this beautiful, you know, um, it's not just, you know, the traumas, but then the beauty of those strengths and the love you know, mm-hmm. that's also mm-hmm. fashion informed and passed down through the generations. And so we have, you know, we do have these traumas. Yes. But then we have these amazing, strong human beings that, you know, refused to give in to the traumas, you know, so to speak fully. And so we've always mm-hmm. warred, like, how can we, you know, we fought to, to find out really what was creating this chasm, yeah. this disconnect, yeah. we couldn't figure yeah. it out, you know, until, you know, um, until we did, <laughs> you yeah. know, until there was some revelation yeah, yeah. on these generational traumas and cycles. Right. And so yeah. that's really where a lot of that was, is that at the age of five, there started to create this disconnect because of fear, because of fast, huh. uh, you know, former traumas. And so then 
you know, and not only that, but then also, you know, when the parents, they were grieving their children, you know, um, like my great grandmother, and you think about their generation, we're talking in the early 1900s, you know, um, to mid 1900s, you're thinking, you know, or getting up there, you're thinking they're told, well, you know, you're just in pain here, we're going to prescribe this to you. And they're being prescribed alcohol. to deal with their pain of their children being taken away from them. And so then comes this cycle now of addiction, something that's going to numb me from the pain, you Mm -hmm. know, that was not my choice in the first place. So now they have this, now you have addiction that has come into the picture. And so, um, and so, you know, what does the next generation do? Well, you drink alcohol because it numbs the pain. And so Uh, then you have these cycles of mm. dysfunction that just kind of continuously go down the generational line until somebody says, wait, I'm not going to do this. Something needs to Mm -hmm. stop and change it and be different. And so. um, And you are one of those people and you and your husband, (laughs) you have raised um, you have raised uh, five children yourselves and now and they're adults, young adults now and uh, and. And yet now you're raising seven foster children and have this vision that God's given you and and this calling to care for not just those children, but the family surrounding them. Tell tell us about this calling that God's given you and and the faith that draws you there. That's a big question, but (laughs) go ahead. (laughs) Um, Yes, my husband and I uh, raised five beautiful children um, they are all adults and um, half of them are married. One is late. And um, I had a son that passed away. And then my youngest son, actually, he plans on getting mm-hmm. married in the next year. Oh, <laughs> so, exciting. Beyonce, yes. So, um, and I have seven beautiful grandchildren and mm-hmm. I do have beautiful um my husband and i are so blessed by our seven beautiful children so my my husband calls them um his blessing children um uh-huh. yes uh and you we really to be completely honest a lot of people in our situation you know they've prayed about it they were like lord we want to be foster parents we want to you know all these things right beautiful mm-hmm. it's just me personally it wasn't something I was praying for. It was not something I was expecting. It's something that uh, was birthed out of necessity. And mm-hmm. from the beginning of my husband and I's relationship, we have always embraced uh, children that we did not birth. And so mm-hmm. our youngest, mm-hmm. my youngest sister, she um, at just turned 12 years old and asked me if she could come and live with me. And I was Mm. like, well, let's talk to mom. (laughs) Let's figure (laughs) out what's going on. Uh, We had some generational traumas that had not been addressed and healed yet. And Mm. so, you know, talking to my mom, she realized the best thing at that point in time was that my sister was going to come and live with me and that my husband and I would raise her. And so we actually went through um, the proper channels and we legally adopted her Mm. when she was 12 years old and she is now 33 and Mm. yeah. So, um, but right out of the gate, our story really, um, has been that we have, we have 
fostered, we have cultivated and adopted this really place of allowing who God wants to connect with us, whoever we're called and connected to, to just come into our home and we just, in whatever capacity. And we've had other siblings, children come for short stints of time Mm. so that we can just, you know, help them become whole and healthy. And a lot of it was because of addiction. And so we have always had a heart to help people that are in a place of needing help because we do have a vision and we recognize that from Genesis to Revelation, God's really the dynamics of everything and who he is, is to restore the family unit. And so Mm -hmm. that is our heart. Our heart is that God wants to come in and redeem the family unit. And so when the Lord called me and my husband eight years, well, actually, even back up before that, we had a family of four come to live with us <laughs> just for over oh two years. And wow. that actually was really what birthed us into this. And hmm. so it, it was a, um, but it was a call. And they said, hey, we have these four kiddos. And I was like, nope. <laughs> right off the bat, my youngest is 11 years old. I can finally go to the store alone or, you know, I just, I'll be honest. I was like, we have five beautiful blessings that are now all self-sufficient. <laughs> and, you know, three teens at home. You know, well, you know, he my youngest was 11. He's now uh, 23. And I was just no. And what happened was um, I I told the caseworker, I said, here, let me pray about it. Let me talk with my husband and I'll get back to you. Mm-hmm. I said, OK, so I called my husband at work and I said, you'll never guess what happened. I got a call <laughs> this and that and the other. And he didn't even didn't skip a beat. He said, yes, of course. And I'm oh. like, what? <laughs> wow. And he said, of course, we're going to do it. And I, I was just mm-hmm. like, oh, Lord. And so I found myself really just pouring my heart out to God. And this is just God's honest truth. I was before him and I was crying because I know what it takes to raise children. Oh, yeah. And I oh, know yeah. what it, and this is a, a sibling set of four. The youngest was two. The oldest was nine. And this was a very um, different situation. And so I... I was just, I was praying and I told the Lord, I said, Lord, <laughs> if at all possible, let this cut pass before me, but nevertheless, mm-hmm. your will, not mine be done. And I mm-hmm. mean, I was just snotty faced, crying, you know, just like, and the mm-hmm. Lord said, Amber, will you take care of my children? Oh. And I just said, God, you know, I will. Hmm. Hmm. That was it. And from that moment on, we have been in this uh, really place and space of cultivating a relationship with the Lord in ways we've never known before. We've had to dig so deep because Mm. we've had to learn how to parent children with different backgrounds, different dynamics, um, disabilities, developmental delays. And so every child that comes to us is very extremely unique (laughs) in their own beautiful way. 
And so we've oh. had to do a lot of education. We've had to take yeah. courses to learn how to, you know, really help them develop in a way that will help, you know, us and them. Because like I said, every child is unique. And so we've mm-hmm. had to get educated mm-hmm. in ways that um, <laughs> normal parents don't. And so wow. um, to the degrees too of parenting and, uh, you know, and teachings. And so it's been a blessing um, for us. And, and really the greater vision is that, yes, we do believe in the dynamics of, you know, the redemptive, redemptive family unit. And that really has caused us to take a look at the system as a whole and say, where is that deficit? And my husband and I, our eyes were opened and the vision was so clear. The deficit and that disconnect was between the foster parents and the biological parents. And we ah, wow. we just cried out to God and said, Lord, what do you want us to do to change what we can? And hmm. the Lord said, don't just come in and adopt the kids, adopt the parents, foster the parents, love wow. them. And so we've had to develop, you know, um, develop a language that is conducive with that, which says, we believe that the Lord fashioned, formed and knit your child together in your womb because he knew that Mm. he chose you to be the mother. He chose you to be the father. And we're here to help you, you know, and, and that just right off the bat, we want him to know we're not here to take your children from you. We are here to help you heal you when you win Mm. your children win and we want Mm. everyone to know that and in some cases you know we're not able to disciple and mentor you know because of the dynamics of where the parents are at and the traumas they've experienced and you know the trust factor Mm -hmm. Uh, but we Mm -hmm. are steadfast we're resolute you know we're Uh anchored in the truth that we know Mm. and every one of our kiddos we let them know like your parents are beautiful. They're made in the image of God. You are yeah. beautiful. You're made in the image of God. And we yeah. let them know that, you know, especially when, you know, their parent is still in that, that cycle of dysfunction with, you know, um, addiction and, yeah. you know, the mental health aspects of it. You yeah. know, we, yeah. we want to make sure that the children know that, God loves them. And, you know, we're all rooting for them. And one of the things that because we've chosen to love unconditionally, what we've done is we've cultivated relationships with parents that when their children transition back with them, they're still our family. Yeah. Yeah. We're still like my husband and I are still like parents to them or big brothers and sister, you know, big brother, big sister you know, however it is. And we, we maintain that connection because we genuinely love them. And we've allowed the Lord to birth a supernatural love, you know, in mm. us, because mm. we know that the only way that they will know him is through the love that we share. That is so beautiful. Yeah. So beautiful. Is all of this through the tribal community? So yes, this, um, it just so happened to be that way. So it really, it started, okay. Yeah. it started in, um, uh, 
it started in a regular caseworker call or, a, you know, a caseworker uh-huh. outside of tribal uh-huh. me calling. Yeah. Um, and okay. then the next okay. thing you know, it was connected into um, a tribal community. And so we've, we have worked with children from so many tribes, actually, at this point. That's I can't what even, I thought. Okay. I can't even tell you yeah, because yeah. there's, um, I, I have lost count, but yes, we That's have, okay. we have worked with so many tribes up and down, um, you know, Washington state. And it has just been beautiful to see the dynamics of how God is, you know, using us in a way that we can create a safe place, but also mm-hmm. continuously cultivate, you know, um, the, the heritage you know, and the culture of our people. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why you're a mother of nations, right? (laughs) (laughs) And so let's think about that. The heritage piece. You are, again, are the sixth generation granddaughter of Chief Seattle. And he had a strong faith. He was a believer in Jesus Christ. Am I correct? Yes. 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 And and when you think about this, what, what is it that you think about in terms of Chief Seattle, what you are doing now? And I actually know you, you have a vision you've stated for Seattle as well. And the core of any culture really is the family. You're helping to restore families. I, this is just such a big picture for me when I think about you and what you're doing. It just it really brings tears to my eyes because you're getting at the core of a culture healing there. And then you have this bigger vision. Tell us about your vision for Seattle and the, the restorative picture you have there. Yes. Well, so it has to go back to, you look at Chief Seattle and the the beautiful relationship that he cultivated with the founding fathers of Seattle, the ones who came to build it up into what we see today. And it's absolutely phenomenal. One of the things that I've learned is the covenant relationship that he had, you know, with those men and how they cultivated not just this covenant relationship, but this beautiful vision together of something that was far greater than themselves. And so Mm -hmm. we look at all of the traumas that they've suffered, you know, in their generation, they suffered a lot of loss. They've had to start over so many times with this big, huge vision they had um, Mm -hmm. from lumber Mm -hmm. mills and, you know, um, Mm. you know, transportation and all of the different things that, that were, Mm -hmm. that they had in these visions, there was fires that took out, you know, entire communities. And, you know, you look at how they had to build it back up from nothing, but they had a resolve and they had a vision and they knew that Seattle was far greater than really the void of, you know, um, of everything that we see today, every innovative idea I can't help but think came birthed from those men. They knew that this was going, this was a global vision. They had this Mm. in them. They knew that this was a global vision of importing Mm. and exporting. You know, they knew Mm. that it was going to be so much greater than, you know, this little tiny piece of land that globally we are so blessed to be a part of today. Right. And so I look at it and I think, wow, their resolve was 
that they were going to continuously keep connection no matter what, no matter what came, no matter what they faced. And they had this commonality of Jesus. So Chief Seattle, when his son was killed on the battlefield, his heart was inconsolable. Mm. And a French missionary shared the gospel of Jesus with him and a peace flooded him for the very Uh first time. He had a peace that he could not explain. And this peace that transcended all understanding was his savior, Jesus. And Mm. through this salvation and through this healing of Jesus brought him into a deeper relationship with young Denny, David Denny. And they Uh had this mentorship relationship and, you know, David Denny, He did not have all of the wisdom and the years that Chief Seattle did. But one thing he had was a steadfast, anchored in the truth faith of his King Jesus. And so Mm -hmm. he was able to share everything Hmm. he had and all his knowledge into Chief Seattle in that regard. But Chief Seattle also got to pour his wisdom of, you know, really knowing the land and how to build and where to build. And it mm-hmm. wasn't just, you know, young Danny. They they just had a beautiful mentorship relationship, a covenant relationship that um, mm-hmm. I think is so beautiful. And and they continued that even up until Chief Seattle's death. And when Chief Seattle accepted Jesus as his savior, one thing that happened was he got baptized and his baptismal name was Noah Seattle. And it was just so beautiful because, and you can even see, you know, people visit his headstone from all around the world, really. They always think like, wow, where did he get that name Noah? And really Mm. that's how he got it. But I believe it was so prophetic because you look at Noah and you look look at everything the Lord had done through him. And in his time where, where everything was, it seemed, you know, he had a different vision and heart. And, and he had an innovative, you know, that's it. His vision was, is innovative. It's something that's never been done before, right? He made this art. Mm-hmm. It's never been done before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> these, men, right? these men and these families were building something that had never been done before. They were coming together in the commonality of the greater good of community. Mm-hmm. And, and although we have experienced and we see throughout, you know, the generations that, yes, there were traumas that came in that were above anything that they, you know, they had no control over. However, they still maintain connection. They still maintain the vision. And that vision was still passed on to future generations. And that's the thing that I pull from. I look at their strength. I look at their regard for not just the vision that they had for Seattle to create something that's never been done before, including community, because they were they were coming against, you know, um, boundaries and racial barriers and, you know, um, covenant relationships with, you know, daughters marrying, you know, into, you know, like Chief Seattle. He had a granddaughter that married into, the you know, the settlers and, um, and then his brother, his daughter married into the settlers. And you can see that they were creating covenant relationships. Not only am I saying I'm going to shake your hand and and I'm going to make this verbal, you know, covenant relationship, but we're actually going to 
marry in to one another's family. We're going to be community. I'm making my people your people. Your people are my people. They weren't just mm. saying it. They were doing it. Doing and that's it. and that's where my heart is today when I look across um, Seattle and I see all of the different nations coming together in one place yes. gathering. You can yes. go to Pike's yes. Place Market. And I mean, sometimes I get overwhelmed. And I'll just start crying as I'm walking through Aww. because I'm seeing that the vision that these men had come to pass. Something mm-hmm. they never got to experience. But we get to experience that. We get to see the yeah. cultural divides coming yes. down. Those barriers yeah. coming down. We get to experience the nations in a way that they only dreamed of. And mm. And that's when I think of covenant relationship. I think of community. I think of being anchored in the strength of vision and in a commonality that was greater. You know, of course, they're anchored in Jesus and the truth, but they also were anchored in this vision that they knew was going to far surpass their generation. Mm. And they were willing to build. Noah knew that the vision that he was given was going to surpass him, but it was going to go into future generations. So he was willing to build, you know, and it was just beautiful. Like I just, I, and then I look at chief Seattle, how they gave him the name Noah and that's it. It was so prophetic (laughs) that we get to see the nations because of his obedience. Yeah. And I don't think many people know this history of solid faith that this city was built upon and, then, of course, all the surrounding areas around Seattle. But this, what you just said, you know, your, your people are my people. My people are your people. Man, if we ever need that attitude and those kind of covenants, we need them now. And yes. I, I <clears throat> many, many people are feeling, um, I, I don't know, disenchanted, losing hope right now because of the fractures in our nation and in our city and our state. And what what would you say to young people who are losing hope that we're, you know, we're on the wrong path out of all of this that you've talked about? It just seems like you have such a message of hope and restoration. What, what would you say to the next generation? For me personally, I would say that I would not be here and I would not be who I am today if it wasn't for covenant relationships. If it wasn't for the the same peace that infiltrated my hurting grandfather's heart where he was distraught and nothing, nothing could bring him peace until Jesus came mm-hmm. into his heart. I would say, first of all, the covenant relationship with Jesus is, is astronomical. It, it is paramount. It is one of those things that was needed and necessary for me Mm. to shape me into who I am today, but also help cultivate covenant relationships, finding that person that you would be willing to share everything and anything with. Mm. And I would say without borders and boundaries, because that that's the thing for me. I have a spiritual mom where I can share anything with her and I have relationships like that where they can come and share anything with me and I will see past the hurt, the heartache and the pain. And I can see the gold that is in them 
like she did with Mm. me. She taught me. It wasn't something I had to catch it. It wasn't, Ah. you know, something that I could really, it wasn't something that I could be told. It was something that had to be caught as I was being taught. And so it was something that, you know, when, when I have been in the deepest despairing moments of my own personal life, it was that covenant relationship that really helped come in and cultivate those places in me that could still produce life because Hmm. I felt barren and desolate. I felt, you know, that despair of loss Hmm. and grief of hurt and heartache. And I felt Hmm. this over and over and over in 2020. Now, when we experienced as a nation, um, having to shut down something in me um, was really distraught. And mm. I kept praying out and I said, Lord, I don't know what. To do. And I remember going to my spiritual mama and I was like, I can't, I can't explain it. And she mm. looked at me and she said, we need to ask the Holy Spirit. We need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you why you're so distraught. Mm. And as we prayed, what happened was there was these generational traumas that started being revealed of separation. Uh, wow. And that separation that happened with COVID, how we were taken from our community and we were yep. all being segregated and separated. And yeah. that is where I was grieving. And so I started praying mm. in the opposite spirit. Lord, I thank you that we will not lose connection that we Mm. will not be disconnected. We will not be fragmented. And I just Mm. started, you know, and it started bringing healing and hope into my spirit, but I needed somebody Mm. that was willing to help me um, in, in a moral compass, so to speak, not to stay there in that despair and that seemingly depression. Cause I could feel this, you know, like a heavy blanket of depression at that time as we were just coming into all these lockdowns and, you know, and then we started seeing things that were happening, you know, in Seattle that literally my heart was aching, you know, over this racial divide. And I said, Lord, we have worked too hard. And for too many years, I mean, centuries to heal these racial divides. And my heart was just so I mean, I was, there was an ache that went deep into my spirit because this wasn't just about Seattle, but it was about the people of Seattle. This was about the heart of our people that really Mm. was really just, you know, gripping me. And so, and I kept telling my kids too, because they, you know, I mean, you have all of these issues coming up then my adult children are, you know, they, they're, it was, we were in a moment of confusion right as as a nation and globally but it was bringing up all this other stuff that was coming up and out and i was thinking you know um when people are in hurt and when they're in trauma and when they're in pain what do people do hurting people hurt people and sometimes we do you know um things that are completely and absolutely outside the box and unordinary and sometimes we have to have something huge happen for us to say, you know what, we need to take a deeper look into these generational traumas of these different nationalities and races. 
We need to say, where do we need to heal as a nation? And where do we need to come and gather around those? For my people, for the First Nations people, Native American, Indigenous, you know, people, we have maintained this um, uh, place and space of community where we've pulled one another in and we've recognized that we have grief, that we have hurt and heartache that has not been addressed. And it's through the generations. And so we have um, community healing times where we come and we break mm. bread and our elders will tell stories. Huh. Stories of pain, but also they release the hope uh-huh. of a future and the strength yeah. of our people. And we break bread and we hear these stories and it's encouraging mm. and it's healing. And so we we recognize that we need to also create a place and space for other people to come in with their stories. Uh-huh. And we need to break bread with them and yeah. we need to hear their pain. But then we also need to share the hope and the strength of our former generations. And we need to impart mm-hmm. that into our present and future generations. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That was so beautifully stated. So I'm hearing we need to be intentional about seeking a covenant relationship that can be building one another up and and to come together in community and those in those covenant relationships and listen to one another's stories and seek healing where we need it. And so many things you just said. And, and then to know that our real hope lies in in God himself and that that will carry us forward. So, wow, I can't thank you enough, Amber. You have such an incredible story, and there's more to it even. (laughs) But this for today was a treasure, and I thank you so much for taking the time to share it with us. God bless you, and God bless the kids you're caring for, the families you're caring for, you and your husband, and thank you for what you've taught us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. An honor to be with you. Such an honor to be with you. Friends, I hope this has been a a blessing to you as we've listened to Amber and just a real encouragement. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. Thank you for listening to the Take Root podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and share. To learn more about Centered, and hear more stories of discovery and growth in Jesus, visit us at centered.org.